Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, April 8th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'm going to talk baseball with you here on these solo segments, and I'll be doing the Betters Box on Mondays and Thursdays here throughout the Major League Baseball season, at least up until we get to the month of August when we start taking a look more at college football, the NFL, and all of that. So, the betters box here on Mondays and Thursdays, my solo MLB betting podcast. Lots of great information here to help you break down Major League Baseball, help you find some different angles to keep an eye on. And of course, I'll talk along the way about my handicapping process, the sabermetric stats I use to handicap, and all sorts of good stuff here on this on these editions of the betters box. You can get a lot of that stuff in my daily article as well over at ATS.io, breaking down the card. Nine games on the board for today. Talked about all of them, three plays in that article. And just so there's no confusion, I know there's two daily picks articles for Major League Baseball over at ATS.io. Mine says MLB picks, tips, and predictions. The other one that is not mine says something about expert picks. So mine's MLB picks, tips, and predictions for those that are going over there to check out my daily content. We got a lot of other great content over at the website as well. I'm still doing my NBA and NHL situational betting articles covering golf, UFC, and NASCAR over at the website as well. But baseball, my primary focus here at this time of the year in that daily article, something I do put a lot of time and a lot of effort into and something I do encourage you to check out as often as you can. And we did announce on Tuesday a change to the article where picks will be tracked in the ATS app. I was doing a Google spreadsheet taking a look at odds from William Hill, but it came down from the top to use the ATS app to track the picks. Those are DraftKings lines. By and large, they're not as good as William Hill lines, but we're trying to encourage you to download the app, use it as a bet tracker for yourself. It's an odd screen with the U.S. sports books in there, a stats database that'll help you handicap. That ATS app is a really, really powerful, really useful tool. Make sure you follow me in the ATS app. I'm skating tripods in there, all lowercase. You're able to track along with the picks from the article, but then also track your own picks and use all of the great features of that app, which is available in the Google Play Store as well as the Apple Store. So I would encourage you to download that today. So we get into the traditional format here for the betters box. We'll go beyond the box score, talk about some things happening around the league. Go down the lines, talk about some line movement that we've seen out there in the betting markets. Talk about my sabermetric stat of the show. Give you a pick for Thursday night's action. And then finally, preview three series here for the weekend ahead with some things that I'm kind of looking for. Maybe a sneak peek at some potential look-ahead plays from the article. All that kind of thing. So plenty of good stuff to talk about here on today's edition of the Betters Box. And typically... With the Beyond the Box Score segment, I'll look a little bit more micro instead of macro. I'll look at some series that just finished up, kind of talk about some of the pitching matchups, some of the situational hitting performances, and all of that. But I want to look more in a macro setting here for this week because, look, we only have a week's worth of games. And the baseball is obviously different. We're seeing that play out quite a bit. And I will talk about that here on today's show. But Sample sizes are very small. You know, we're dealing with a lot of different things at the start of the season. Uh, Maybe some pitchers that got off to a slow start. Maybe some hitters that have gotten off to a slow start, all of that. So I want to take more of a macro approach here and just look overall at some teams that I would expect some positive regression to the mean from 
as we go forward because they've gotten off to really challenging starts, but also to take a look at why they've maybe gotten off to those more difficult starts. So with that in mind, I want to start here by taking a look at some early stragglers offensively, some teams that are just not having a whole lot of offensive success early on in the season here. And when we take a look at the bottom five in WOBA, and again, WOBA weighted on base average, that was the sabermetric stat of the show from last Thursday's podcast. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and check that out. But WOBA is weighted on base average. It's an on-base percentage. It's more of an advanced stat for on-base percentage, where with on-base percentage, a home run counts the same as a walk. A home run counts the same as a single. Well, we all know that that's not true. So what WOBA does is it adds the weighted run values to those positive outcomes to create a formula in which a home run is more impactful than a walk. A double is more impactful than a single. So WOBA, just an extension, a more comprehensive form of on-base percentage. So it's my favorite sabermetric stat to use and one that I do cite a lot both in the article and here on the show. When we look at the bottom five teams in WOBA here and weighted on base average, you've hit the Brewers bringing up the rear at 235. And to this point, Keston Hira has been awful. And Christian Yelich hasn't really hit hit that much as well to this point in the season. Also, a big thing here regarding WOBA, and especially in these early small season sample sizes, is that strikeouts are much more detrimental than they will be when we've got a larger sample size and also a lack of walks will be a much bigger deal. Because again, we're talking about small sample sizes where these things are pretty skewed pretty quickly in the process here. But for the Brewers, they're not hitting for power. They've struck out in 32% of their plate appearances. As I mentioned, Hira and Yelich have been really, really bad. They're not walking at all. So this makes sense for the Brewers to be off to a slow start. However, with that being said, the Brewers were a bad offensive team last year too. And I thought that maybe their offensive projection would go up a little bit based on hitting some more fly balls in spring training. But that has not been the case here at all whatsoever. And I'll talk a little bit about fly balls and why they've actually been a bad thing so far here in the early part of the season. That's kind of a good segue into taking a look here at the second lowest team in Woba, the Atlanta Braves at 242. Now the Braves have still made a pretty decent amount of high velocity contact but they haven't had much to show for it here to this point in time. They're running a 216 BABIP batting average on balls in play, and they've struck out in 32.5% of their plate appearances. So the Braves are not making enough contact, but they've also been kind of unlucky with the hard contact that they've made. I don't think the Brewers will be, or the Braves, excuse me, will be in the bottom five all that long in Woba. I think it is something that will positively regress very quickly for them but they are off to a little bit of a slow start here offensively so far. The Oakland A's, 246 Woba. They've got a 221 batting average on balls in play, so not much success for them on the contact that they have made. They've also hit for virtually no power here in the early part of the season. And in fairness to them, they've played Houston and they've played the Dodgers. So a couple of teams where it's not all that easy to make a lot of hard contact. So they're off to a bit of a slow start here. Uh, for this season, but also have faced a couple of pretty good pitching staffs. And that's part of it too. You know, early on in the season here, these numbers will be skewed based on the quality of competition. And for the A's, they've had a couple of tough series here 
so far on the pitching side. The Chicago Cubs, they are fourth from the bottom, 249 Woba for them. They have a 132 batting average on balls in play. So they've had absolutely no luck, no success whatsoever on the balls that they have put in play here so far. They've played the Pirates and the Brewers. So the Brewers, a pretty good pitching staff. Uh, The Pirates, less so. So a little bit concerning there for the Cubs so far. We'll be following them very closely as an offense that generally performs to about league average. Maybe that could be a stretch for them this season. The last one in the bottom five here is the Baltimore Orioles at 269. Not a big surprise here. Not thought to be that great of an offense. They were about a league average unit in the 60-game in the sample last year, but I thought that was a little bit optimistic of a projection for them for this season. They've also struck out in a third of their plate appearances here so far, facing a Boston team that does not record a lot of strikeouts, but a Yankees team that does. So the Orioles here with a high strikeout rate, that should level off as we go forward a little bit, but still not a team that I have a very high offensive projection for at this point in time. Outside of the bottom five, the next five that make up the bottom 10 here in Woba, the Diamondbacks at 277. A big part of this is that they have not walked much. Their walk rate under 6%, but also too, not a whole lot of success on the batted balls that they have put in play with a 265 Babbitt. And of course, Catal Marte getting hurt in last night's game against the Rockies. Uh, that will definitely lower their offensive projection for however long he's out. So disappointing start for the Diamondbacks here so far. A team that I do have a season win total over ticket on. Uh, but by the time spring training wrapped up, I kind of soured on that one a little bit. The Marlins at 279. This is not a good offensive team. Big reason why they're struggling so far is that they're not hitting for any power. Marlins Park is not a good park for power. But they did add a humidor at Marlins Park, trying to balance out offense a little bit. Didn't really help them over their first few games. That's an offense that just generally will be towards the bottom of the list here because they don't hit for a lot of power. The Tampa Bay Rays, along with the Atlanta Braves, the two most surprising teams to me to get off to a bad start here, the Rays with a 285 Woba, a 257 batting average on balls in play, a big reason why. They're struggling a little bit here offensively. They've had some strikeouts as well. Not as much contact quality as we're used to seeing from Tampa Bay, but I don't think they'll be in the bottom 10 for all that long. Similarly, I don't think the Giants will be in the bottom 10 that long either. 287 Woba for them. They've struck out in 29% of their plate appearances. 233 batting average on balls in play for them. So the Giants have hit some home runs, but haven't done much with their balls in play and do have a few too many strikeouts. Same thing for the Pirates here, 287, 27% strikeout percentage for them, low Babbitt, but also they make a lot of poor quality contact. So the Giants make a lot of high velocity contact, the Pirates do not. So I think those two teams are going to go in opposite directions here uh, as we go forward. But there are three teams that I wanted to highlight here specifically as the early offensive stragglers, and they are the Braves, the Rays, and the Giants. Now, these are three offenses that make a lot of high-quality contact. When you look at the other teams on this list that are in the bottom 10 in Woba, the Brewers don't make a lot of great contact. The Cubs don't make a lot of great contact. The Orioles, the Pirates, Diamondbacks, Marlins, they don't make a lot of high-velocity contact, so they are going to struggle offensively here, not only in the short term, but also as this season goes along in a lot of ways. 
But the Braves, the Rays, and the Giants are teams that do make quality contact. However, one thing that I think could be hurting those teams is what's happening with the baseball here so far. What we've seen across Major League Baseball to this point in time is higher exit velocities, but less distance. There's less carry to the baseball. All the stuff that everybody talked about leading up into the season was that the ball would be a little bit softer, but that there would be an increased level of drag on the baseball. So what we're seeing is that the ball is softer. It is bouncier, springier, however you want to say it. So we're getting higher exit velocities. And I talked about this a little bit with the data that we had on last Friday's show from opening day about how much high velocity contact we had, but we didn't have the home runs. We didn't have a lot of the high scoring that you would expect with high exit velocity contact. Well, the Braves, the Rays, and the Giants are three teams that hit a lot of fly balls. Also, the Marlins and the A's, two teams that are up there in fly ball percentage this season that are off to slow starts in the WOBA department. So unfortunately for me, I think this new baseball actively hurts teams that hit a lot of fly balls because they're just not going to get the same level of carry. Now, this could change as we get into the summer where maybe the ball does carry a little bit farther in the better weather conditions. But what we're seeing here is high exit velocity and low fly ball distance, at least relative to what we've seen in past years. So teams that hit a lot of fly balls may end up not reaching their offensive potential based on what we're seeing here with the baseball thus far. And I think that what I would hypothesize here is that we are seeing higher exit velocities off the bat, but with that increased level of drag, then it looks as though maybe the speed at the time the ball is actually fielded has gone down a little bit. Maybe that gap between initial exit velocity off the bat and the velocity at time of fielding is a bigger gap than normal. And I think what's happening here is that we're seeing outfielders have more time to get under these fly balls. So it's really concerning to me that one of the things that I kind of isolated as a hallmark of my handicapping here for this season is to take a look at fly ball teams, at teams that will hit for more power. But unfortunately, the baseball is very different here for this season. And I don't know if that's why I've gotten off to a slow start here with the MLB picks or not, but it's simply to say that Every year is a unicorn. Every year is different when you go into it not knowing how the baseball is going to play. And the early returns that we've seen here so far are that fly ball teams will be negatively impacted by the changes that have been made to the baseball. So that is an adjustment that I probably will have to make. And I've got to think that, you know, on the whole here for these teams that have actively worked on these launch angle changes, have actively worked to get their hitters to elevate the baseball, to try and drive it for more power. And now, with what Major League Baseball has done, I'm not going to say it renders it null and void, but it certainly does mitigate some of the expected impact of hitting more fly balls. So I think this has to be a real piss-off to the teams around the league. It certainly is for me. And, you know... Look, they're trying to cut down on home runs and, and all of this kind of thing. And, and for the life of me, I don't know why. But strikeouts and walks are both up this season. 
So I don't know what the hell they're trying to achieve here with this baseball, but from a betting standpoint, from what we're talking about here, it does lower my projections a little bit offensively for some of these fly ball teams. So that will be an adjustment that I have to make going forward here and something that I'm sure I will talk about, bitch about, rant about a lot here on the betters box. And with that in mind, I talked about this on last Friday's show in terms of contact quality, where batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour over the last three years are generally very, very good. And they're still good this year, but not to the same degree. So last year in 2020, the batting average on a batted ball of 100 plus miles per hour in exit velocity was 608 with a WOBA of 801. In 2019, 634 batting average, 818 WOBA. 2018, 620 batting average, 804 WOBA. Batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour the last three years. 510 batting average, 645 WOBA. 2019, a 539 batting average, 668 WOBA. Then 2018, a 522 batting average and a 647 WOBA. Now, Baseball Savant having a WOBA issue here this morning, so I don't have that data. However, what I do have for you, remember, batted balls of 100-plus miles per hour, the batting average the last three years, 608, 634, 620. The batting average so far on batted balls of 100-plus miles per hour, 589. So we are talking about a situation where We are 45 points lower in batting average in 2021 than we were in 2019 on batted balls of 100 plus miles per hour. And we're almost 20 points lower for this season based on last season. So this is the tangible impact of this different baseball that we have. And again, the sample sizes are small. So maybe this does change a little bit, but we are seeing a situation in which High exit velocity contact is not being rewarded to the same degree that it was in previous seasons. And if we look here at batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour, the batting average is 485 so far in 2021. It was 510 last year, 539 in 2019. So a 30, or what is that, 25 point drop in batting average on batted balls of 95 plus miles per hour this season compared to last season. And this is something that I do think will stabilize relatively quickly because we're talking about large sample sizes of batted balls and in particular, large sample sizes of high velocity batted balls. So it looks as though offense will be down this season to me. And it also looks like Teams that make high-velocity contact, and specifically teams that make high-velocity contact in the air, are going to be at a disadvantage for this season. And again, maybe it's difficult to make broad, sweeping generalizations about that after just a week's worth of games. But I do think that what we're seeing here does have some staying power. And it's very frustrating to me, based on how I handicap baseball, to see these developments playing out but it certainly does look as though we've got some adjustments to make for this season. So like I said, usually I look more at specific series, but kind of looking more at some macro trends here. Let's take a look at some outliers, some early season outliers, just a week into the year here. And the Cincinnati Reds top the list for me. They are batting 464 with runners in scoring position. That is 113 points higher 
Then the next team, which is the Texas Rangers, who are a bad offensive team themselves. Now, again, small sample sizes, these numbers are very easy to skew. But the only thing I'm suggesting here is that because the Reds fall so far out of the normal range, they will drop off faster than other teams will. So that's just something I want you to keep in mind here is that we're, we're talking about general regression to the mean. The Reds will not hit 464 with men in scoring position for this season. When you think about last year, the San Diego Padres led Major League Baseball in batting average with runners in scoring position at 311. So 311, 315 in that range, kind of the top of the market in terms of batting average with runners in scoring position. Well, right now the Reds are at 464. So yeah, the sample size is small. They're 26 for 56. But I'm just saying that that will regress. I don't know when, but I know that it will. So I'm just kind of looking at it, like I said, in terms of more of a broad picture kind of standpoint. For example, the Indians, they're batting 091 with men in scoring position on the season. They they also only have 22 at-bats in that situation, which is the fewest in the league. They're third off day of the season already here today. But just something for you to keep in mind here is that the absolute extremes, the significant outliers on either side will regress to the mean. If they're too high, they'll come back to the pack. If they're too low, they'll get better. And that's just sort of something to keep in mind as we go throughout the season here, but certainly with men in scoring position where a lot of games sort of dictated on a handful of plate appearances, you do want to look for some of these outliers early on in the season here, I think. Other teams doing really poorly with men in scoring position are the Cubs, the Braves, uh, the Cubs at 125, excuse me, the Braves and Diamondbacks 138, the A's at 173. A lot of teams on the whole struggling to hit with men in scoring position here Only 12 teams batting higher than 250 so far. 17 teams finished better than 250 last year. So, again, just kind of some food for thought there in terms of looking at some of these small sample sizes and what we're seeing here so far. Like I said, look for early season regression. The sample sizes aren't significant, but the extremes will either come back to the pack or rise up towards the mean. So just something for you to keep in mind. Uh, the Rangers last year in, in batting average with men in scoring position were at 218. That was the lowest, and that was pretty clearly the lowest. So, again, you just look for the expected ranges of these things, and the gap between number one and number 30 should be about 95 points or so in batting average. Well, right now, it's over 370. So all I'm saying is that we're looking for teams that are going to positively or negatively regress just because they're so far out of the normal ranges that we would see statistically in some of these splits. It's still very early, again, as I've talked about. And there are some weather factors. You know, we haven't had a lot of warm weather, not a lot of great weather games, although weather really hasn't been bad. A lot of the country has been pretty warm, pretty seasonable so far here. But with fly balls up, or excuse me, with fly balls around the same percentage as the last two years. So the percentage of fly balls is not up. But with exit velocity up, you would expect to see an increase in home runs, right? Well, in fact, we're seeing the exact opposite. The home run to fly ball percentage, 13.4% so far. That is down considerably from the last two seasons. So even though the sample size of fly balls is pretty similar, the sample size of fly balls becoming home runs has gone down to this point in time. We have seen an increase in pop-ups. I do think that changes as hitters get their timing down and all of that. 
But what we're seeing here so far, and this is the big takeaway from this Beyond the Box score segment today, higher exit velocity, but it's not going to create more home run power. And it will negatively impact fly ball oriented offensive teams like the Braves, like the Giants, like the probably the Dodgers when all is said and done. Teams like that. So those offenses should still be good, but maybe not to the levels that we saw in the past. All right, so take a look at the down the line segment here. What I like to do here is take a look at how lines moved from the opener to the close, kind of get an idea of some of the teams that the market has soured on, some of the pitchers that the market has soured on, or vice versa. And a couple of things I want to bring to your attention here right away at the top is that since Cabrian Hayes went out for the Pirates, it's basically been a daily fade of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now remember, off of the opening lines, the modeling crowd, the quant crowd, has all the impact because those are the people that are ready to fire. They've got everything put into their spreadsheets. They run the numbers. They get a line. They bet it accordingly. Well, with Cabrian Hayes out, that really lowers any potential upside for this Pirates offense, which doesn't have a whole lot to begin with. So without Hayes, this Pirates offense looks very, 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 very bad, as opposed to just being very, very bad. So what we've seen almost on a daily basis without Hayes out there is a pretty decent defensive third baseman too, is that we've seen money come in against the Pirates. And this will probably continue for as long as Hayes is out. With that being said, if a line doesn't move on the Pirates, then either that's a good number or there's money coming in on the Pirates. So follow along with that. When a team gets faded day after day after day, and then it stops, alarm bells should be ringing in your head. And with the Pirates here so far, we've seen anywhere from 10 to 15 to even 30 or 40 cent moves against them over the last few days without Hayes. Some of it has to do with backing guys like Luis Castillo of the Reds. Other times it's just simply that the Pirates suck. So we're seeing money come in against them. So keep that in mind as star players are hurt here. And watch that with the Diamondbacks, with Ketel Marte now being out. We're seeing a move on the Rockies for uh, Thursday here, for the Thursday day game at Coors Field, where money is coming in against Arizona. And maybe it's a back of John Gray more than anything, but I think a lot of it has to do with Marte being out. So watch for that as star players are dealing with injuries, uh, whether they're things that you know require a uh, stay on the injured list or just things where a guy is out a couple of days. The market will have a reaction And in particular, the market will have a reaction to those opening line moves. A couple of other things to take a look at here, too, is that watch for teams that appear to have platoon advantages and line movements on them in those situations. Two teams that come to mind right off the top, the Giants and the White Sox against left-handed pitchers. Now, we didn't see as much of a closing line move with the Giants against Blake Snell. We actually had some buyback on the Padres. Uh, before first pitch of that game. But the move early in the morning, kind of the uh, move that sort of set the market officially, was some money on the Giants there, fading Blake Snell, or actually more appropriately, buying on the Giants against a left-handed pitcher. Similarly, we will see this with the White Sox. Whenever the White Sox take out a left-handed pitcher, when Tim Anderson gets back in the lineup, they will take money with regularity against lefties. And it almost doesn't matter who. They'll just take money in that split because platoon advantages are still a big part of the handicap. 
So we saw Giants money on Monday against Adrian Morahone. We saw it to a lesser degree against Blake Snell yesterday. But that is something to follow with both the Giants and the White Sox. Their lines, more often than not, will move against left-handed starting pitchers and will move pretty early in that betting process. On Tuesday, we saw money on Sandy Alcantara. That was the Marlins against the Cardinals. That was John Gant getting his first start since 2018 for the Cardinals. St. Louis won. The money was incorrect in that one. But Alcantara's made two starts, and he's been very good in both of them. So watch out for this. Good starting pitchers on bad teams will take money. The market will go ahead and gamble on guys like that. And so far here, uh, I'm not sure if it's Alcantara or Alcantara, but whatever it is, Alcantara for the Marlins, money will come in on him in a lot of his starts because he's kind of getting that reputation out there in the marketplace. Similarly, Tyler Glass now. He got money against Martin Perez and the Red Sox. Probably a two-way move in this one on Tuesday where the market does not like Martin Perez and for obvious reasons, but the market really likes Tyler Glass now. A lot of his starts got steamed last year. His opening day start probably would have been steamed, but he was taking on Alcantara in that one. So that's one where maybe the presence of Alcantara kept that line intact there against Glass now, but watch for that. Tyler Glass now probably will take money in just about all of his starts here in the early part of the season. Also, we take a look at Luis Castillo. A couple of starts, a couple of line moves for him. Wednesday, he was facing the Pirates, but like I talked about, we've seen these Pirates line moves here uh, early on in the season thus far, but also we've seen movements on Luis Castillo. So maybe you had a 10 to 15 cent move with the Pirates not having Hayes, but also saw a double move there with Castillo who the market really, really likes for this season and with good reason. So keep that in mind here uh, with the Reds, where Luis Castillo, if you want to bet his starts, you have to bet them early. That's really what I'm trying to do here with this down the line segment is to plant these seeds in your mind that if you want to bet on some of these pitchers or if you want to fade some of these teams, do it early. You can always do your handicap and then buy back, buy out, whatever the case may be. But if you want to get in there and get some of that line value or just know where these lines are going to move, these are things that can definitely help you along in that process. And then along with Luis Castillo taking money, Aaron Nola, another guy I really like for this season, two big line moves on him in his two starts. Wasn't great in his last start, only went four innings against the Mets, but we saw a pretty big movement on him. Also saw a movement on him in his first start against the Braves. That was with Max Freed on the other side. So Aaron Nola taking money here so far. And another top of the line starting pitcher, Kenta Maeda, taking money in both of his starts as well. Early Thursday movers here. Again, seeing that slight Pirates fade, but not to the same degree that we've seen it in a lot of their games so far. So that says two things to me. One, the market doesn't love Jake Arrieta. And two, maybe it's properly accounted for now that Hayes is out because it's been several days in a row of money coming in against the Pirates. Maybe the odds makers have made that adjustment to be 10 to 15 cents higher. I don't know if that's the case. I think it's more about the market not believing in Jake Arrieta or maybe not believing in the Cubs uh, who are not hitting anything right now. But that is one of my plays for today. I do like the Pirates' first five with Tyler Anderson against Jake Arrieta in that one. So an extra play here on today's show. But watch out for those Pirates fades. And again, like I said, If you don't see one, well, I think that says a lot. 
money early on Corbin Burns and then some buyback pretty quickly on Adam Wainwright. So I don't know if this was market manipulation this morning in that Cardinals and Brewers game or if it's just some jockeying for position between two different groups early on in the season. I understand the desire to bet on Corbin Burns, but also the Brewers offense is awful. So, you know, it's very tough. It's very difficult when you get into those spots where you've got a dominant starting pitcher, but also an offense that may not provide a whole lot of run support. Uh, You know, they don't like to use Josh Hader back to back all that often. So that's always a consideration for Milwaukee, but we saw the Burns money come in on the overnights and then saw the Wainwright buyback early on in the process here this morning. So some interesting jockeying for position there. I don't think that's an arbitrage play or anything like that. I think it's just a couple of different groups with influence kind of going back and forth on that game. So again, you're going to see money come in on Burns. You're going to see money come in on Woodruff, but will people hold those positions or will we just see that immediate buyback with people that aren't buying in to that Brewers offense? I think it's a pretty good question to ask. Saw some steam here on Jose Barrios as he takes on the Seattle Mariners in this one here today. I've also seen some people whose baseball opinions I respect. Take a look at Barrios's over strikeout prop. I think six and a half the number on that one as well. Strikeout props are going to be very popular here for this season. I think the market seems to like Barrios and I like Barrios as well. Coming off of six no hit innings with 12 strikeouts against Milwaukee. It looks as though the Twins are ready to make that leap there uh, with Barrios. I did play the first five under in that game, by the way, between Barrios and Marco Gonzalez, mid-afternoon start time. So if you listen to the betters box early or read the article, uh, maybe that's one that you'll be on here as well. The sabermetric stat of the show for today is BABIP, B-A-B-I-P, batting average on balls in play. So what BABIP is, is it's a metric that, is essentially batting average minus strikeouts and home runs. So for a pitcher or a hitter, frankly, it can be a good indicator of luck. Are the batted balls in play finding holes? Yes or no? A low BABIP, you expect some positive regression for a hitter, negative regression for a pitcher. A high BABIP, negative regression for a hitter, positive regression for a pitcher. And BABIP is a stat that never reaches a point of stabilization uh, for an individual player, I should say. For the league, it's a large sample size. and It's been very consistent, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But for individual players, batting average on balls in play never reaches a point of stabilization. So what that means is it will be open to fluctuation all year long. So if you've got a pitcher with a really high BABIP against, we should expect some positive regression With the balls in play, we should expect some better luck out of that guy. Similarly, a hitter with a low BABIP, you would think more batted balls would start finding holes at some point in time. Now, I will say that there are caveats to this, and it's largely due to StatCast. Because now we know the quality of contact that hitters make and the quality of contact that pitchers allow. So if you're a pitcher and you're running a high BABIP in the 315-320 range, and you're allowing a lot of hard hit balls, your BABIP probably won't get better because it's not bad luck. It's bad pitching. It's bad command. But if you're a guy with a 320 BABIP and your exit velocity is in the top 20% of the league or something like that, that should get better. 
So we can use BABIP as kind of a jumping off point to find out why it's high or why it's low. So BABIP is a stat that I do use quite a bit in my handicapping to kind of ascertain if a pitcher is in line for positive or negative regression. So it's a starting point, And then I find out, okay, why is that BABIP high? Well, a lot of hard contact allowed. Well, he pitches in front of a bad defense. Okay, that BABIP is probably not going to get better. But a high BABIP and decent exit velocity metrics and an average or better defense, that should get better. So BABIP is a really important predictive stat depending on the context in which it's high or low. And as a general rule here for pitchers specifically, Fly ball pitchers, and this applies to hitters too, I guess, but fly ball pitchers will generally have a lower BABIP than the league average. And ground ball pitchers will generally have a higher BABIP than the league average. And the reason is quite simple, frankly. More ground balls go for hits than fly balls. And that has changed. The dynamics have shifted a little bit because of defensive shifting. But just as a general rule, you know, ground balls go for hits more than fly balls. You know, fly ball is hit up in the air. Fielders have time to get to it. Ground balls, you've got less reaction time. You've got less time to get to that ball. And so, you know, more ground balls go for hits than fly balls. And this could be even more magnified this season because of what I talked about at the top of the show with fly balls, the lack of carry, and all of that. So keep that in mind. Fly ball pitchers will typically have a lower BABIP than the league average, and ground ball pitchers, it will be higher. Also, remember, if you're a fly ball guy and you give up home runs, those don't count towards Babbitt because they're not balls in play. So batting average on balls in play means batting average taking strikeouts and home runs out of the equation. Now, last year, the league-wide Babbitt was 292, and that was one of the lowest we've ever seen. This is a very consistent stat for the most part at a league-wide level. If you look from 2010 to 2019, the BABIPs in chronological order, 297, 295, 297, 297, 299, 299, 300, 300, 296, 298. So from 2010 to 2019, the lowest BABIP was 295, the highest BABIP was 300. So on a league-wide level, this is very consistent across the board. The exception, 2020, was at 292, and we'll see what 2021 winds up being. But the reason I mention this is because if you're looking at a hitter, and this is very relevant for fantasy purposes or something like that, if you're looking at a hitter who's well below or well above the league average, there's a reason for that. So dig in a little bit more, try to find out why. Is it poor contact quality? Is it good luck? Something like that. But BABIP is a really important stat to look for signs of regression, either positive or negative. And it's kind of predictive, kind of predictable. So I think that if you start looking deeper into the outliers, you will find some good opportunities for either guys to bet on, guys to bet against, teams to bet against, so on and so forth. Pick for Thursday here. Talked about a couple already. A lot of day games here on Thursday, but one that is a late game, Look at the over 10 in the game between the Angels and the Blue Jays. And this will be the first regular season game at TD Ballpark down in Dunedin, Florida, which is where the Blue Jays will be at home for the foreseeable future. I mean, maybe they do go back to Buffalo, but with Ontario locked down again now for the third time because of COVID, 
I think the Blue Jays are probably an underdog to actually play a game at Rogers Center for this season. So TD Ballpark, the park in question, the dimensions are small, particularly to the power alleys and specifically to right center field. I think the ball will carry a little bit better in that warmer Florida weather. You've got Griffin Canning for the Angels. He's more of a fly ball guy. I don't think that's good in this park. And then Ross Stripling's had some major command issues over the last year and a half. Two offenses that should make a lot of high-quality contact. I'll take a shot with the over 10 here and see what this ballpark plays like down in the Sunshine State. And with that in mind, as we go into the weekend preview here, the Angels and the Blue Jays. How does TD Ballpark play? What are the early returns from this park? You got Griffin Canning, Ross Stripling tonight. Andrew Heaney and TJ Zuck on on Friday. Alex Cobb, Steven Matz on Saturday. Shohei Otani and Tanner Roar coming up here on Sunday. I do think that the Angels, much like the Giants and the the White Sox, will be teams that take money against left-handed pitchers. So we'll see if we get that on Saturday against Steven Matz, who actually was really, really good in his first start. But the Blue Jays do have the better bullpen here. I think that is an advantage for them in this series and could potentially be an advantage for them throughout the course of the season here. Thought about the first five over with that in mind tonight, but we'll go ahead and see how TD ballpark plays uh, with that canning and stripling matchup. And also take a look at the early returns here after this four game set between the angels and the Jays and something else I'm kind of interested in here too. The angels played, you know, all those games out West last year. Now they go all the way down to Dunedin, Florida to a ballpark where they've never played. We're talking about long travel again in Major League Baseball. We're talking about crossing multiple time zones to play your games. So I'm curious to see how that kind of plays out, how the road team does when they've gone a long way away, across two or three time zones, something like that. I don't know if it will be actionable, but still something I'm going to kind of follow on my periphery here uh, with series like the Angels and the Jays. A's and Astros here down at the Juice Box Minute Maid Park. 50% capacity, I guess, the expectation here for the Astros. Yet Cole Irvin, Christian Javier tonight, Sean Manaya, Lance McCullers on Friday, Frankie Montas and Jose Urquidy on Saturday, an off day on Sunday. It's really strange to me when teams don't have Monday or Thursday off days, but there is an off day here on Sunday for these two teams. The A's finally get that win. They walked off the Dodgers yesterday. Do they ride the wave? Is that something that kind of takes the pressure off of them a little bit? Or does Houston just come out and do exactly what they did to them in that first series, outscoring the A's, I believe, 35-9 to in that four-game series? But one guy I'm watching specifically here is Frankie Montas coming up here on Saturday, where Montas got blown up by the Dodgers in his first start. He's got to be good for this team to compete. Their starting pitching is not good. And their first time through the rotation has not been good either. I think Frankie Montas absolutely has to pitch well here, get some confidence going. Maybe the results won't be there, but he's got to look the part. You know, I need some strikeouts. I need ground balls, even if they find holes. So I think it's a big start for Frankie Montas here and one I'll be paying close attention to on Saturday. Finally, last series, take a look at here, the Phillies and the Braves. You got Zach Wheeler, Charlie Morton coming up tomorrow. Zach Eflin and Ian Anderson on Saturday. Matt Moore, Drew Smiley on Sunday. Anderson really sharp in his first start. Had the Braves in that one. They just didn't hit for me. They weren't able to get to Zach Eflin. But Anderson looked really good in that first outing. 
He is a play on guy for me. And there was a line move on him in that game. I think a lot of people in the market like him. We'll see what kind of price we get here coming up uh, on Saturday, but it is a guy that I will be watching and it is a price I will be watching closely. Wheeler had no hit type stuff in his first start of the season against the Braves. Let's see how both of them adjust in this one, Wheeler and also that Braves lineup. Philly's off to an excellent start here. We'll see what it does. We'll see what they do in this series, heading out on the road, taking on Atlanta. How long does it take this Atlanta offense to come around? That's a big question for me, especially with their fly ball prowess. Is this something that will just be detrimental for them with this baseball? Was it Citizens Bank Park? What is it for the Braves? How long can this offense be held down? I guess we'll kind of find out here and maybe get some pretty good indications with what they do against Wheeler and Eflin in the first two games of this series. Talked about a lot of stuff here, a lot of stuff. If you want to get on the list for the betters box notes, email me skatingtripods at gmail.com. I'll put you on the list. I'll send you an email every Monday, Thursday with the notes from the show. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff I talk about, a lot of numbers and all of that. So if you want to re-listen to the show, following along with the notes, just read the notes after you've listened to the show, whatever the case may be, skatingtripods at gmail.com to get on the mailing list for the show notes. We'll be back again on Monday with a new edition of the Better's Box. So have a happy, healthy, smart, safe weekend, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the Better's Box.